Well, God moves into the neighborhood while his people build him a sweet house, and Israel has to eat a bunch of gold. Well, welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know Jesus through... No, that's not how it goes. Equipping you to know God through his word and his son, Jesus Christ. Welcome to Daily Gospel. Hope you're happy to join us. And uh, today we're going to continue our chats in Exodus. You ready for this one? Oh, I'm stoked. Blood everywhere. (laughs) So much blood. Well, not quite as much as... Well, there's a lot of blood in the Old Testament, but there's going to be starting right now. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, kind of from, from the very beginning, but... Yeah, yeah, lots of blood, people getting blood thrown on them. Favorite part about Exodus so that's, far? I mean, that's definitely it. Blood. Yeah, the Got blood it. being thrown. I just think it's hilarious. My I was favorite. Thinking of, yeah, my friend Andrew, it's very metal. Oh, Andrew yeah. does like metal. Yeah. Man, very metal. Um, my favorite is the building uh, aspect of the end of Exodus. I love building things. I'm stoked that Israel is building things. It is awesome. Some good woodworking happening. Great woodworking. Acacia wood on everything. Acacia wood is great. Uh, for those of you who uh, like koa wood, koa is a type of acacia. I don't care. Yeah, well, That's you know, great, now you know. Now you That's know. That's great. Koa, I don't know what that means. Well, let's do a recap. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about um, where we've been so far. So we, we've, as we've been walking through scripture, um, don't don't miss the, the forest for the trees, right? Mm-hmm. Remember the big scope. We've seen creation, God's plan, and then we've seen fall. Man abandons God, rebels against him, and it invites chaos and disorder into the creation. Yep. But God has a plan for redemption. And so he gives that promise in Genesis 3.15 right. of the offspring that's going to come, that's going to save the world. Crush the head of the serpent. That's right. Yep. And then later on in Genesis, we see Abraham is the, the man who becomes the family that's going to be the line of redemption. So the, yeah. the seed promise, that offspring that's, gonna, that's promised is going to come through Abraham. Yeah, the blessing of the world is coming through this family. That's right. And then yeah. in Exodus, we see that the, the family turns into a nation. Right, they're enslaved, but they're being fruitful and multiplying even in slavery. God's blessing is still with them. And so God redeems them, brings them out of Egypt in order to make them a new people. Mm. And he's gonna, this is going to be the nation that's going to establish who God is. His, his, he's going to display to the world who he is, and the Messiah will come from them. For sure. And, and part, of that, part of that blessing is also law, though, that we've got introduced into this story uh, in Exodus. God's people, the law isn't obscure it's actually given to them specifically and we've seen that so we talked a little bit about the law last week uh, in regards to israel but is the law meaningful for us today what does it have to do with us as christians today yeah exactly yeah so just to review yeah absolutely it has meaning for us and i hope we saw that last week Mm -hmm. in the ten commandments i hope that was clear to everyone how practical this is but um, there's also a purpose for the law as we go through the rest of it not just ten commandments but all of it is profitable for us in three different ways so it's a mirror that shows us our own sin, shows us our own failures, and reveals to us our need for a Savior mm. in Jesus, who is a perfect follower of the law. Right. Right? He doesn't just give the law, he also follows the law perfectly. It also has a civil purpose. It shows us how, um, how our laws should be structured in our government. Mm. It shows us how society should be structured. It points to that. And there's incredible wisdom in God's law that is applicable even today. Hmm. And then, of course, we see a moral aspect. It shows us how to live a life that's pleasing to God. Yeah. If you were to say something that the law isn't, though, would you agree that the law isn't a means of salvation for people? Absolutely. And what we see actually in Exodus is it was never intended to be that. Right. Remember up to this point, God had already saved his people 
from slavery. Mm-hmm. He'd already, he's already making them his people, and then he gives them the law as a result of that. Right. So it's the same order in the New Testament. Right? Right. God saves us and gives us his law as a way to live to please him, but it's not a way to be saved. Right, for it's sure. never intended for that. Definitely. And like one of the themes that we've already looked at in creation and now in Exodus is the complete sovereignty of God, right? He is in control of all things and he knows all things. Uh, this is his story that he's telling to us and that he's shaping history by his own hand. So if that's true, that means he knows that this law that he's giving to his people will not be ultimately fulfilled, will not be perfectly fulfilled by them, right? That's right. And so, just like you said a second ago, the law points us to our need of Jesus. And so, even in the midst of God knowing everything, even in the midst of this law, it's not our means of salvation, but it points us to uh, the source of salvation, and as we'll see, that's Jesus Christ. Yeah, and of course, a lot of this is obsolete in the sense of, we're not Israelites, we don't live back then, we don't follow the same details of the law. But all the law reveals to us things about God, about ourselves, about Christ, and about how we should live. Right. So we, if we study it rightly, we'll learn a lot. Yeah, amen. And we can we can eat shellfish and stuff, right? Yes. I love yes. shellfish. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we actually see in chapter 24, just to jump in here, we see that the people, they believe they can follow this law. So in verse, right. in verse 3 of 24, all the, the word the Lord has spoken, we will do. Mm-hmm. We got this. We're going we're gonna to follow God. Great intentions. Um, spoiler alert, though. They don't. Really? <laughs> they disobey every single part of the law. Uh, fact checked. Yeah, yeah exactly. But hey, good intentions. And so what Moses does is he sacrifices an ox. And we've said that a covenant has to be ratified through blood, right? right. Because that's a picture of the penalty of breaking the covenant. Mm-hmm. So he takes an oxen. In chapter 24, he, he kills it. He throws half of the blood against the altar. And then in verse 8, he throws the rest of the blood on the people. Is that all the people? Probably not every single person, since there was like a million of them. But um, yeah, I, I always wonder if it's like he just he just gets a bucket and douses the front row. Right. They just get it full in the face, or is it like a sprinkling kind of all over? Mm. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Either I, way, it's kind of it's pretty gross. I think we can be sure that anybody that the blood touched, they were cleansed of their sins, right? <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. It's a picture to them of yeah, this is this is the price of disobeying the covenant. Right. Exactly. And I, I mean, how gruesome. And unforgettable would that be, mm. right, to have that blood on you. So that's the picture of the penalty. And then we actually see in verses 9 to 11, God invites the elders of Israel with you know Moses and Aaron and his sons to a meal. Mm. So they, they come to a meal. They enter into fellowship with God. They're beholding God on his throne, right? In, at least in some, some sense of that. Yeah. And... And this is a good reminder for us of what covenant was is always about. It's about relationship with God. Mm. God's inviting them to his table to sit down with him for a meal. It's very intimate, right? It's very caring. And so this, this shows us what God's covenants are always about. It's about inviting us into that relationship. That's awesome. And it, and it is, a, is, a, is a just a great note and to realize that even as God knows the plan of his people, knows that they're going to fail, still extends you know, extraordinary grace to them and, and does have a meal with them, even though he knows they're going to fall short. I mean, that reminds me of myself. How many times have, you know, uh, I'll just speak for myself. In my life, I have often said, God, I will obey every word that you said. This I will do, but I fall short. And how gracious and good is God that he accepts us back. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. same for me. Yep. And that's and God is showing us that, yeah, he, he has a law for us to follow, but that's not how we come to salvation. So right. that's going to be revealed. 
Now, in verse 16, interesting comment. So it says, The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. Mm -hmm. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So it's, this is familiar language, right? Six days with a seventh day. It's very clearly creation language, right. right? This is the creation week. And this is a theme we've seen again and again in the narrative, is that uh, Moses is bringing to mind, as he's recording these details, that this is in some way reflective of the original creation. Mm. So we saw it. Um, we saw it originally with um, the the plagues themselves. So the plagues themselves were a form of creation, but they were uncreation. Right. right? There were ten words, just like God spoke ten times in the creation account. He gives mm. ten plagues, and they are the opposite of creation. Right. They're a reversal. Right? So instead of light, he brings darkness. Right. Instead of order, he brings chaos. Instead of life, he brings death. All these things. And then what we saw in the Passover feast was that this was their way out, right, to, to be a new people. And actually the feast that's given to them, which was on the first day of a new calendar year, mm -hmm. was a seven-day feast, mm. the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it, that also resembles the creation week, right? New year, you start off with a new creation. God yeah. is constituting his people. Lots of sevens. Exactly, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then we saw a lot of that in the parting of the Red Sea, right? In the Red mm -hmm. Sea, God is doing things that, remind us of creation. He, he puts a pillar of cloud between Pharaoh and his armies and the, the Israelites. And on the side of Pharaoh and his armies is darkness. Right. And on the side of Israel is light. So God is separating light and darkness. Right, just like creation. Yep. Exactly, yeah, day one. And then he parts the seas, right? He separates the waters from the waters. Mm. He raises up land. It's like right. day two and three. And then um, he brings them through that in salvation, right? So all of this is reminiscent of Genesis chapter 1. God mm. does that in a specific way. He sets up for that in order to, to show them through their story that he's making a new creation when he creates Israel. Right. So the, the, the text is, is loaded with that kind of imagery yeah. because the significance of God creating this nation cannot be overstated. Right, it's just as important as creation. In yeah. fact, a lot of ways more because it's showing how he's going to fix all things. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so everything we see with Israel, people say Israel is a microcosm of the world. Right? Mm. Theologians say this. It's very true. Israel is meant to be a picture in miniature of the rest of the world. Right. And so, yeah, we'll see that a little bit in the tabernacle as well, which is also sort of the world in microcosm. Yeah, so the last part of Exodus is really focusing on a big part of it is this tabernacle. So... <laughs> What's, what is this tabernacle all about? There's so many different aspects we could talk about. We could go into detail about every single aspect of the tabernacle. You know, we could talk a lot about the lampstand, the, you know, the, the, the bronze altar, and every single part. But let's, I want an overview of that stuff, and, uh, but not a ton of detail. So let's get the big picture of what all these symbols in the tabernacle were all about. So what's, what's this tabernacle thing? Yeah, so the tabernacle is a, a physical representation of their connection with God, right. of Israel's connection with God. So it teaches them about themselves, teaches them about God and his character, mm -hmm. and it shows them how they approach a God who is holy. Right. So it shows us, I mean, a lot of things. You know, I saw when I was in Israel, they have a, um, a full-size tabernacle replica out in the wilderness there, and you can walk through it. And it's, it's pretty amazing to actually walk through it because reading it is very difficult. You can actually, I mean, you can go online and you can find... Right sort of now. visual tours of the same sort of tabernacle. Um, it's not. It wasn't a complicated structure. Um, it was. It was. You know, simple. Oh, it was just people in the desert with tents and. That's right. Yeah. Porpoise so, skins or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I know some certain versions say that it's covered in porpoise skins, which I wonder how many desert dolphins, dolphins were. Yeah, yeah killed. Right. Um, who knows the translation on that one? But, but one thing that stood out to me was as you're saying, 
right, that the Israelites themselves were living in tents at the time because they were nomads. Mm -hmm. So God himself chooses the same kind of dwelling. Mm. And he literally has them place his tent at the middle of the camp right. with them all around. And his, his dwelling place is just a bigger version of their dwelling place. Right. I so, mean, what a picture of Jesus, right? He comes down and dwells with us. We'll talk about that later, but that's, yeah. I mean, it's pretty beautiful to think yeah. that even now, thousands of years before Christ comes, God is showing us his care and how he's going to come and save his people. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. God moves into the neighborhood, moves into town. Mm. And he dwells with them, and his tent is a bigger, better tent than theirs. Right. Even as far as, like, outside of their tent would be where they cook their meals, right? And outside of God's tent is where the altar is, which is going to be the place of sacrifice. So in a lot of ways, God is just saying to them, I'm dwelling with you, and I'm going to accompany you on your journey as you're struggling in the wilderness. I'm here with you. And that's the definitive reality for them is that God is with them. So the tabernacle, which is later becomes the temple— Mm -hmm. is, I mean, the central piece of, of life for them. Awesome. That answers the question. What's the tabernacle? Um, so we get into verse 25, and uh, we start to see uh, Moses and God asking for uh, materials to actually build this tabernacle. So, great reminder, where did we get the, the where, where did Israel actually get the materials for this, this tabernacle? Yeah, it's a good question because obviously they were slaves. Right, and, and then they're in the desert or, in the wilderness. Yeah. And so where did they get it from? But we saw that God's plan, going back to Genesis 15, was for them to plunder the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. And they did that, right? When they left, they said, they went to their neighbors and they said, give us your wealth. Right. And they gave the Israelites all their wealth. So they, they're walking out very rich. Mm -hmm. They're loaded with wealth. And then this is, I mean, it's a reminder for us that God calls us with our possessions to honor him, right? It's very easy to think that if God's given me wealth or has given me whatever, that it's for my good, mm -hmm. for my benefit alone. But God here is showing them, I've provided all of these things for you so that you can come and give them to me. Yeah. And so they come, they bring it, right? So God doesn't give stuff to us because he wants us just to have it. Right. Because he wants us to honor him and give to him, right? right. And bless him with our possessions. Right. So they bring all, all this stuff. And they begin building the ark, and we see, or yeah, they begin building the uh, tabernacle. And we see at first in twenty five, we see different items within the tabernacle. Right. We see the the ark of the covenant mentioned first, which is um, it's built in its dimensions uh, similar to how a footstool for a king would be built. Mm -hmm. So it's it's meant to be this picture of the holy of holies, where it's placed, and the inner sanctum is the place where God's presence would dwell. Right. So this is his throne room. Hmm. And the ark is is at his feet, and it has the law inside of it. So, how accurate is this ark that we uh, see laid out for us in Scripture? How how accurate is it to the ark of the covenant in Indiana Jones? <laughs> you know, it's, it's not bad. I don't think. I mean, <laughs> aside from all the uh, you know melting faces and stuff, <laughs> that you know, that basically it's a gold box with two cherubim on top, right? With their 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 wings stretched out. So yeah, so I mean it's. There's a lot of depictions of it, a lot of guesses. We don't have any idea specifically, but it's right. something like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No. A little less cheesy, but. <laughs> so we have the ark. We have the table for bread in 25, mm -hmm. um, verse 23 and following. So the table for bread was placed in the holy place, so in the sanctuary of the, of the tabernacle, and it has the same dimensions as the holy place itself. So it's built in a similar way. It's built to scale. Right. And it's the, called the bread of the presence that's on it, right? So it's fresh bread. 
you know, daily, and it's the bread of the presence, pointing to, of course, God's presence. Mm. So this bread, in the ancient Near East, if somebody came and visited you, you'd be hospitable, right? I mean, this is a, this is a big deal even today in the, in the Near East. And so having a meal with someone was a way to show them provision, protection under your roof, right. and, of course, fellowship, right. relationship again. Mm-hmm. So God, as in his temple, he places, in his tabernacle, he places a symbol of his fellowship with humanity, his desire to be in a relationship with us. That's awesome. So what's up with the lampstand? Got the a lamps- golden lampstand. Yeah, the lampstand is what you know, we'd call it a menorah, but it's this, this lampstand, and it's shaped like... A tree. It's mm. built with you know flowers, um, leaves. This kind of this kind of imagery of a tree, and um, the idea here is probably that it's uh, sort of symbolic in some sense of the tree of life. Yeah. So as coming into God's presence, you're gaining access to life, right? Provision from the bread and life from the tree. I mean, also it it was obviously symbolic of light as well, because it has seven lights. Back then, they believed there were seven heavenly lights. And they placed it on the south side of the tabernacle so that that's where the circuit of those lights would, would go, right? And, um, and Vern Poitras in his book, uh, he has a great book called The Shadow of Christ and the Law of Moses. If you want to learn more about this topic, go to that book. It is phenomenal. A lot of what I'm saying today I took from, from Poitras. But he points out that these lights, for Israel, everything in terms of time was divided into seven. Hmm. So the week itself was seven days, right. of course. And obviously we still have seven days in a week. We still have that, right? Yeah. And then, of course, the Sabbath day was that seventh day. But also the year itself, right, the seventh month was the month of, atone- of the Day of Atonement. Yeah, right? Yom Kippur yeah. is in the seventh month. The seventh year was significant because that's the sabbatical year. Right. And then the, the 49th year, or the seventh seven, right. seven, yeah, that year was the, the year of Jubilee. Yeah. So... Their entire time is structured by this. So there's a sense in which the, the, the tree points to the lights, which mm. govern the time. It's a tree, which is a symbol of you know, seasons and life. So it's, it's really a, a picture of life and light, both. That's very cool. Yeah, God relating to his people and showing us you know, what he's bringing us towards. That's really cool. And I can't help but like look at, like we talked about it, Brandon talked about it a second ago, but the blessing that's coming from this, and we'll see the misuse of that blessing uh, as we get through the end of Exodus here, and it's God has given us, given His people all this blessing, and they're just going to misuse it, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the tabernacle will be built, but um, yeah, it's it's a sad thing to see the 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 excitement of God's people as they are receiving blessing, and that blessing is meant to be a blessing, and then they take the stuff that's meant for good, and they're going to use it for evil, right? Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Um, so in twenty six. We actually get into the tabernacle itself mm-hmm. and the design of it, which right. again, it's not super complicated. It's really, I mean, if you were to walk into it, it's very simple. It's a tent. Mm-hmm. It's a big tent, right. but with two rooms, right? The sanctuary and the, the holy of holies. So right. the holy place is the big room you first walk into, and then the holy of holies is in the back. But it's built in a way that shows increasing perfection as you walk towards the center. Mm. So if you look at the entire courtyard that the, the tent is placed in, it's the dimensions of it are it's all in cubits which is about a foot and a half but it's 50 by 100 rectangle that's the that's the width yeah. and the length it's a rectangle and then it's the fence is five cubits high it's okay. about seven and a half feet so but as you go to the holy place it's 10 by 20 by 10 feet high or 10 cubits high so it's becoming much more closer to a cube but it's still a you know rectangular um solid prism whatever mm-hmm. and then the holy of holies is 10 by 10 by 10. Mm. 
So you have perfect symmetry and right. it's a perfect cube. And that's pointing to as you're moving towards God's presence, you're moving towards perfection and order. Right. So so all of that. And but then also it's a, it's imagery is really clear in terms of it's meant to show the worshiper progression from um, th- through the cosmos, right? To go from earth to the heavens and up to the, the heavenly dwelling of God. Mm. So all the all the things in the tabernacle remind us of that. So if you look at the courtyard when you first walk in, you're walking into this outer courtyard, and the floor would have been dirt, of course, because it's just you know it's a tent, so the floor is just dirt on the outside of the tent, and you'd have a bronze altar outside. Mm-hmm. Bronze is a very common, right, yeah. not precious metal. There's a, a wash basin, so it's a big thing of water. And all of this is very earthy, mm-hmm. right? It reminds us of the, the land and the, the, the waters and all these things of earth. And so this is sort of a picture of earth. And as you walk into the tabernacle, though, that all shifts, right? Obviously, it's darker. It's lit by these lights. Right. As you would look up, you would see these colors, blue and purple. Hmm. You'd walk through these curtains to, to get there. And the furnishings of the holy place are much more precious. They're all gold. Right. And there was a you know, table for bread. Well, the Israelites knew that the bread from God came from heaven. Right? God was their provider of bread. They, they were eating manna, right? So all of this signifies that the heavens itself. When they walk into, obviously the priests could only go in there, but they'd walk into the sanctuary, into the holy place. And as you get into the Holy of Holies, it's as if you're ascending into God's heavenly throne itself because mm-hmm. you're seeing the footstool of God. That's where his presence would dwell in the inner sanctuary. Right. And it could only be, you know, you can only go into there one time a year for the high priest. Yeah. Why is that, though? Why is you get the progression from earthly things to holy things or heavenly things, probably a better word. And then, but in that Holy of Holies, not everybody could go there. What's the whole point of that? The whole point is that, yeah, that there's there's barriers to communion with God. God is... He's holy, he's perfect, he's, and he's inaccessible to us. Why is there barriers? Well, I mean, because, we, because we're sinful. We don't have the right to go before God in time we want. In fact, to go before God as a sinful person would mean death. Right. So there's barriers to guard the worshiper, but also to instruct the worshiper about who God is. Right, exactly. you don't just You don't just go into his presence. You have to pay a price for your own sins to be in relationship with God. Right. So God is coming into the camp, but he's being clear. There are also certain ways you have to relate to me. If right. you want to know me, right? So it's very specific, and and um, all of this symbolizes not just the the world itself and that ascension to God's presence, but it also would remind the Israelites of their own journey. Yeah, uh, the the structure of the tabernacle is much like their own journey, right? From slavery, mm-hmm. they got out through sacrifice. So the first thing you'd encounter when you go into the courtyard would be that that altar of sacrifice, right, the need for sacrifice. Yeah, and then beyond it is the is the wash basin. Right, Israel went from the Passover, sacrificing the lamb to walking through the waters mm. of salvation, right. right? Being baptized into Moses, as we saw, that First Corinthians talks about. Right. And then beyond that, they would walk into the sanctuary itself, right? Passing through these, these curtains, and they would see the table of bread, mm-hmm. right? And then of the provision of manna we saw in chapter 16. And then the Holy of Holies is like Sinai, where they've arrived now at this point in yeah, the story. They've received the law, and that's central to... You know, being obedient is central to following God and being in His will, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Uh, so that's all to say that obviously the tabernacle has deep, deep significance for the Israelites personally, for their nation, for God coming to Earth, 
Um, and, and that's incredible. And you mentioned something as we were talking before, uh, uh, recording this, um, that it's not only the tabernacle itself, the structure, the tent, the Holy of Holies, that's symbolizing uh, something, but it's also even the clothes that the high priest is supposed to wear. Yeah. And I never heard that before, so I thought that was really interesting. You want to explain that? Yeah, everything is a teaching mechanism for yeah. Israel, right? It's all instructive to them. God's designed it in a certain way, and it's actually patterned after the heavenly model mm-hmm. you know, in heaven. So for a priest, a priest's role is to represent God to the people Mm -hmm. and the people to God. So he speaks God's blessing, he speaks God's truth to the people, but he also will uh, atone for the sins of the people through sacrifice, right? Yeah, mediation, sacrifice. Yeah, exactly, mediation. So the high priest, his garments um, were made to look somewhat like the tabernacle. Hmm. There was was some sort of reflection. So in terms of the fabric, it's very similar. The the colors are very similar to the blue and the purple and the gold of the of the actual tabernacle. And then not only that, but the turban on his head, as we see in chapter 26, where is this? I I, I missed it here. I guess it's later, 28, sorry, 28, verse 36. Um, It says, holy to the Lord on this engraving on his head. So obviously that reminds us of the Holy of Holies, right? Right. His turban reminds the Holy of Holies. But if you think about his feet were on the ground, his feet mm-hmm. are anchored to the earth, and his hands are what deal with the sacrifices. Right. right. He's, he's offering through. sacrifices to God. He's walking forward. And then his, his garb reminds us of the tabernacle itself, of the curtains and of the ceiling of the tabernacle. And then his head reminds us of the Holy of Holies. Mm. So even his, his entire outfit is meant to point us to this ascension to God. It's following, awesome. Making a sacrifice to God. It's crazy. Love it. Love the connections. So we have Israel. They promised to, you know, first they, they received great blessing, brought out of slavery. They've promised to be obedient, to uphold God's good law and his words, to be obedient to that. Um, God tells them, you know, what needs to be built in order for him to dwell with his people and some stipulations around that. He's, he's pointing to who he is, uh, the need for sacrifice, and the need, you know, to be close with God. Um, but we see that in chapter 32, God's people actually are not obedient. They fall short, right? Yeah. And what happens in chapter 32 of Exodus, Brandon? Yeah, so in this in this beautiful, like, orderly account, a bomb is dropped right in the middle of it. And that is, <laughs> right, because God's giving all the law to Moses. Everything we're seeing up to 32 is God communicating to Moses on right, the mountain. Right, not everybody. What's going to happen. So they haven't received the Ten Commandments. They don't know the Ten Commandments yet. Although they, they know all of them just from... Right, cre- the creation order itself. They know a lot of that truth, but they haven't received the law in all this detail. And yet, before Moses gets down from the mountain to give them the law, before the forty days are up, mm-hmm. they they get tired and they and they want an idol to worship. Right, right. They they they're like, we don't know what happened to Moses. Well, and they turn to Aaron and they say, make us gods. Right, make us gods who shall go before us. Bad choice, Aaron. Bad choice. <laughs> and, don't and do Aaron, it. Yeah, and Aaron fashions them for them, and he says. He participates in their idolatry. He says, right. this, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. How lame is that? Like, the cow did not get, bring them out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't, it doesn't even represent God closely. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. And in a book that's all about making God's name known, the high priest, the high priest right, Aaron, is the right. one who is, yeah, who is engaging in idolatry. That's crazy. Which immediately casts huge doubt on whether this law is going to actually be able to 
to do anything for the Israelites, right? Yeah, exactly. all the, all their words of commitment in chapter twenty four are dashed by thirty two. Right. Even the person, you know, like you just said, who's supposed to be the holy one, the mediator, the person interceding for them, is unholy himself. And like you even see, like Moses is kind of in the like more on God's team right now, right? Yeah. So he's receiving the commandments. God tells him, "My people have rebelled." And even in thirty two nineteen. You know, when Moses comes near the camp, it says, and as soon as he came near the camp, they saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, right? And so he destroys the tablets. He is angry. It's a righteous anger that Moses has. And so we see here, Moses is kind of more in the place of a, a holy guy, a proper priest, a proper high priest. But we actually know of the rest of the story, Moses doesn't even fulfill the priestly yeah. duties wholly and perfectly. He doesn't even make it to the promised land, right? And so... We already see start are starting to see um, whispers of the tabernacle, the law, the sacrificial system being obsolete, yet still yeah. serving a purpose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's serving a purpose, but its purpose is to remind them of how sinful they are, as we exactly. said. Right. So the the priest himself, Aaron himself, whenever he goes into the holy of holies, he has to offer a sacrifice for his own sins right. first. Exactly. Because even the person who's supposed to be your hope of mm-hmm. connecting with God is sinful. Right. So, yes, this was all made to become obsolete. Mm-hmm. This was not the, the be-all, end-all, because it couldn't provide what they desperately needed. Right. So this just reminds us of how sinful they are. God turns to Moses, even before Moses goes down the mountain, God says to him, okay, Moses, I'm going to wipe the Israelites out, and I will make <laughs> a new nation from you. And Moses plays the role of mediator, right? right? He steps in between, he says, God, don't do this. And he appeals to, to two things, right? His love for his people and his covenant for his people, but also the glory of God's name. Right. He says, if you do this, the, the Egyptians will say that you're, yeah. you're bad, right? That you're, yeah, exactly. And so for the fame of your name and for the love of your people, don't do this. Mm. And that's really, I mean, why God saves today, those two things. Right. So, so yeah, we see the failure of Israel. And even though Israel has been freed from slavery um, chapters earlier, they are still enslaved to sin. They Mm -hmm. still have the chains of sin on their heart, and there needs to be a much greater salvation at some point. Yeah, amen. Amen. So so Moses goes back up, and actually Moses, again, is interceding for them in chapter 33, Mm -hmm. and Moses makes this request to to see God, or to see God's glory. Which is back, though. And so God reveals his glory in some form to Moses. He says, if you see my face, you'll die because you're sinful. But Moses is allowed to see some aspect of God's glory going before him. Mm -hmm. And in chapter 34, we see the second revelation of the name of God. So the first was in chapter Mm. 3. Second is in 34. Mm -hmm. And this this statement from God is so important in terms of identifying who he is. And it's going to be used a lot later on in the Bible. So 34, verses 6 and 7. Yeah, it says, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So God is loving, he keeps covenant love, and he's also just. Right. So God is revealing more of who he is, and, and this is going to be a theme later on in, in Scripture. Yeah, so amen. hold on to that passage. Amen. And then the rest of Exodus, we're just going to briefly skim over it. Um, it's actually making the altar, right? It's actually yeah. making the tabernacle. Yeah, so if you noticed as you're reading, 
Chapters 36 to 39 mirror 25 to 30 almost exactly. Don't get bored just because it's repeating itself. There's a reason why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're building all the stuff that we heard about, and it's giving all the same detail that it gave when Moses was on the mountain. And the reason for this is because God was really clear. He said, you need to build everything according to the pattern right. shown to you on the mountain. Right. So God, so God was very specific, and in their proper worship of God, it's to um, follow that pattern given to them. And so they do it here, right? A holy Ab and Bezalel, the ones who build the tabernacle, they build it with precision, with care. Obedient. Uh, in order. Yeah. yeah, they're obedient. That's awesome. So at the end of Exodus, chapter 40, the way it ends is very important. So it's, it ends by saying the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. So this is chapter 40, verse 34. So God's glory fills the tabernacle. God is now mm-hmm. dwelling with his people. Just like he said, he, he's, he's moved into town. Right. And then it says in verse 38, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Mm. So the question we're, en- we're ending the book with, right, it ends there with, uh, it raises a lot of questions, which is how can a sinful people live with a holy God in their midst? Right. I mean, that's just the beginning. So Leviticus is going to show to us the answer to that question. Awesome. Well, great. Well, again, we could talk in more detail about a lot of different stuff in this chapter. We could talk about, you know, why a couple thousand you know, Israelites were killed and why they had to drink gold and all those kind of cool questions. But let's jump to the important stuff. And how does the gospel connect to these verses in Exodus? What is the good news about it all? And how is God in his bigger picture and in his grand story of redemption, how is he showing us the good news here? Yeah, so Jesus in so many places reveals that he is the the fulfillment of what the temple and the tabernacle were supposed to be. Right. I mean, this is a huge theme in his ministry. Just when he's being prophesied that he'd be born in Matthew one twenty three, it says that his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus came to move into the neighborhood, mm-hmm. right? Not only that, but when we get to the Gospel of John, in John one fourteen, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm. And that word for dwelt, as you, as you know, is the word tabernacled. He, he, he tabernacled, he pitched his tent right. in our midst and lived among us. Jesus is God moving into the neighborhood. Yep. And so, and we see this in John chapter 2 as well, when Jesus cleanses the temple. And he says to the Jews who are upset by this, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they're confused by that because they're thinking of the structure. Right. And they think temple, they think building, right. but it says in verse 22, 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Mm-hmm. So he himself, in his incarnation, is the fulfillment of the tabernacle Amen. idea. Yeah. Right? Amen. He's doing all these things. right? He, and of course, we saw last week he provides bread, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively. He provides light. Yeah, we'll see more um, next week. He's the yeah, high priest, he's, right? Yeah, he's all of these things that the tabernacle was pointing to. Mm. But even beyond that, we can go to the end of the Bible and oh, yeah. see how Jesus fulfills the, the, the purpose of the tabernacle in a very mm. literal, physical sense. Right. Right? So in, in uh, chapter 21... Revelation. I'm going to throw all my appendixes here. Um, Revelation 21, it's, uh, we see the, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Right. And the key in verse 3 of 21 is the voice from the throne says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Mm-hmm. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The emphasis is clear on God is now living with you. He's dwelling with you. 
But it even goes beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. It goes even into the d- dimensions of the city. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, no, like in, uh, I think it's verse 16 of 21 in Revelation. It says, And the city lies four square in its length and its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, and its length and width and height are equal, just like the Holy of Holies in the, in the, exactly, the tabernacle. Yeah. It's, it's perfect. It's, it's, it's a cube. It's not um, some irregular shape, but God is showing us his holiness. And this is like the end of time. This is the whole creation, right? Yeah. So, so the Holy of Holies is now this massive city right. where God brings us to dwell. Yeah, it's called New Jerusalem. Yeah. yeah, and then the rest of the world is this beautiful paradise. Mm-hmm. And even the, the, this cube city is also a garden, right? We see in chapter 22, we see mm-hmm. all the same imagery from Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that are fulfilled here, right? right? So the tree of life with its its you know leaves for healing. Right. Right. And its fruit is bearing fruit. The rivers. Right. Yeah. All of the all of these things are fulfilled here. Even the the lights. So we we don't need, you know, in the New Jerusalem you won't need the sun as a lamp. You won't need the menorah as a lamp, but God Himself will be our light, right? Yeah. So um, the so the purposes of the temple which is, was to connect us to God and to his blessing and to paradise are fulfilled here, Amen. right? They're ultimately fulfilled, not just in some sort of spiritual sense of we now connect with God, but also God has literally remade the cosmos so that everything it's physical, is a temple, right? Yeah, everywhere is a temple. Heavenly and eternal existence is not, you know, uh, just we're floating spirits in presence of God. Physical bodies will be resurrected, right? The yeah. dead will rise, and we will live again in a new creation that's perfect. Yeah, and and yeah, that microcosm, which was the temple, mm. becomes the entire cosmos, which which is the whole intent, right? Right. It's it spreads its scope to everything. Everything's blessed by God. Awesome. And so that's God. That's where God's taken His people. That's what He's showing them as, as a shadow of here in the tabernacle in Exodus. Um, but that's good news for sure that yeah. God is even going to bless His people uh, in that way, and He's going to have full relationship. So that's all we got for, and that's all the time we got today. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you were edified and built up, and I hope this gives you a really uh, encouraging uh, big picture of what the Bible is all about here and even in these early stages. It's a hopeful story. It's an amazing story, and we're glad you're joining us. We'll see you next week.